uh, 1-6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame. Uh, this is really small. Into flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his, his prisoner, by, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of, follow the, pattern of the sound words that, have, that, y y that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this place, Lord. I pray that the uh, Holy Spirit would just work through all of us. I pray that um, you would work through Jason to just bring the word, Lord, and that um, just all the truth and wisdom from it um, would just attach itself to our hearts that we wouldn't forget it, that it would just be um, bursting out of us, Lord. I pray that we would be grounded in that truth. I pray that we would be open to just the, the power of the Spirit in our lives. I pray that we would put aside our plans and in all things turn our eyes up to you. I pray that your path would be clear to all of us. Um, and then as we set down all the worries um, and cares of our lives and, and know that you have a plan and a time for all of us, that we would just be uh, filled with your peace that passes understanding. We pray for eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Ooh, good morning, everybody. It's been a good day already. Hopefully, we'll just uh, keep going like that. It worked for Emily, so I was just kind of wondering, like, anybody that came to hear me preach this morning want to come to the front and hang out and have nobody? That was awesome. I don't know why you sent them back. Like, just hang out. Let's have a party. It's so beautiful about that. When Jesus taught, like, that's the way it was. It was just people hanging out on the same level, him considering them more important, pouring into them access. Um, a lot, of, a lot of cool things in that. Emily, are you in here? Where'd she go? Hey. So, I got an extra for you. So, thank you for your faith and your courage this morning. And while you were sharing your words, there's two things that I feel like were really important. So, you already went public, so it's okay for me to just, like, talk to you publicly, right? So, you said something that I thought was incredibly important that was about your purpose and God's plans for you, and you use the word later on, and I just want to affirm to you that later on starts today. Like God's plans for you are not waiting for some day down the road when you're more this, something this. That's, that's a now reality for you to begin walking in, and the reason is because I feel like you have the calling of a kingdom influencer 
on your life and the, the way that you were able to clearly articulate your experience was better than a lot of preachers that I've heard. And that's a gift that God has given you to make clear things in a spiritual world that would be hard to explain are not hard for you to explain. And so you have a gifting that God has given you, and I think that your calling is not a later on. I think be open because it's starting, well, judging by the, the room, it's already started, right? So well done, faithful servant. Thank you for your faithfulness, and God has things for you that don't have to wait. And as we were experiencing that, I was just wondering if that might be actually a word for a lot of the rest of us. Like, are we waiting for this time down the road when we think that we're going to be more together, more ready, more mature, more skilled, or whatever? And I'm just telling you, your later on starts, should have already started, let's have it start today, right? Let's not put off the things that we know God is saying to us, speaking to us, and let's have the courage to respond next week. Maybe there's some more people that need to go into the holy horse trough, right? Maybe it's time to quit. This is not supposed to be a hideout experience. I mean, we saw the beauty of it today, didn't we, church? Like, what an amazing experience together. This isn't even my church, and I'm like, come on. Like, this is what it's all about. And so together, right? So you're safe here. You're safe to, to dive into God here. And there's not judgment here. There's invitation here into the life that God has called you to, predestined you for, created you to experience. And I don't think Emily's the only one with a calling of a kingdom influencer on her life, though it is a very clear and distinct call. But there are others that God is calling into to those realities. And so I'm honored to get to be with you. It's always like coming home. And um, I've been a cheerleader of the Grove since before there was a Grove. And um, just amazing to see how God is at work and his spirit is moving. And there's a lot of people in this room that I dearly love. Well, I love all of you. I just don't know you. So like, you know, but some that that we've battled with, worked with, served together with, and so grateful for what God is doing in this place. So I know that you've already looked closely at um, several different focuses of spiritual gifts, looking at purpose and origin and recognizing them as an overflow of the generosity of God, where you've looked in 1 Corinthians, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and others where we've kind of populated this list of gifts that we believe God has invested and deposited. If you remember the passage that, that we just read um, into each of us. And I love how Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy from this reading that we just heard. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you is the catalyst for the gifting that you possess. It goes beyond what you're good at and what's easy for you. God saw fit when he created you. By the way, you were created on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. And part of that purpose on this planet is what God has gifted you with. And you may be like, I'm not that gifted. That's not the way that God sees it. There's not like this. There's a certain set of gifts that we seem to celebrate more, that get more attention, that get more press. But all of them, there's no hierarchy in gifting, right? They're all necessary for building up the church and expanding the kingdom of God. And there are gifts that God, when he created you, he entrusted you with. And that is such an amazing picture, right? Because that means that God entrusted you with something very valuable to him. And he didn't 
give that to anybody else. There's things that he just gave you, a deposit that he entrusted with you that's going to pay dividends in expanding his kingdom. You have a unique identity. We have things in common, and then we also have distinctions and uniqueness that God has chosen to keep safe in us. So we've looked at God's invitation to work with him through, you've already looked at the speech gifts, right, and the service gifts. If you're like, I don't know what those mean, they're online, and I got a lot to cover today, so I can't go backwards. So what I do want to do is give us, to to start out here, I want to give us a warning, and I want to give us an invitation, and hopefully we're still friends after that. We exist to reflect the light of God's glory in a broken world that loves the darkness more than it loves the light. That's why we're, why we're here. But my, my challenge is kind of in, in this direction. I spend a lot of time in a lot of different churches and a lot of different places, and one of the things that I'm really kind of concerned about is that there seems to be just kind of like this spirit of criticism throughout the kingdom of God. And it's good to be cautious. We want to measure everything with the scriptures. It is our authority. It needs to be consistent with that. But that's not what I'm really talking about. It's become more of the things that I don't like, I'm going to become a critic of, regardless of whether or not there's a biblical precedent for my opinion on those things. So there's things that we see being expressed in the kingdom of God that our humanity is going to go, that makes me uncomfortable, so I'm going to discredit it. Not only that, I'm going to criticize it and I'm going to condemn it in order to protect what's easy for me. So my challenge, friends, nowhere in God's holy scriptures does he say that what he created you for has anything to do with how you feel. It has to do with his glory. And what I will tell you is that there is a deep, deep joy in living for his glory, and there is constant frustration in trying to figure out our own. But our flesh will pull us to, I don't like that, so I worship this way. I don't like that kind of tea. I mean, that's why we have so many different kinds of churches, right? Because we gravitate towards the things that we like better than other, the other options, right? And, and I mean, I think there's all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. And I don't think every church has to, to be uniform in their expressions. But what every church does need to do is appreciate the distinctions in the big C church. And even though that's not a distinction of our fellowship, we love that it's a distinction of another fellowship. Because it is God at work in this world drawing all people to himself through all different kinds of churches. We can believe we have a closed-handed um, you know, few doctrines that are incredibly important. And then there's all these secondary issues that are like, I don't like that. It's not up to you if you like it or not. It's not up to me about what I like. It's not about what makes you comfortable. So my challenge is we need to be careful in our caution that we don't go too far and become hypercritical over things that God really enjoys. We need to celebrate the diversity in the kingdom of God in different expressions, even if we don't worship in that manner in in our house. God is at work 
Jesus said really ambiguous things sometimes, like the disciples going, Jesus, can you, like, they're saying this. He's like, hey, if they're not against us, they're for us. It's like, what doctrine? There was none. He just left it out there. He's like, if they're dividing people from my kingdom, but let's just us worry about what God's entrusted us with. Spend less time criticizing what's different than us and work on fanning into flame that which God has entrusted to us. So the challenge is, let's not be so focused on the things that are easy to criticize and with social media and everything's on the internet and poor preachers, good grief, right? You could take 30 seconds of this sermon and make it say whatever you want to say and then it's going to go viral and I'm going to be deemed a heretic, and then people are going to talk bad about me and my family because everybody's an authority on the true doctrines from a 30-second soundbite that gets spread all around the world. Nobody sits down and goes, I want to know the heart of that pastor and why they said what they said. Why are we not giving brothers and sisters in Christ the benefit of the doubt? It's God working in ways that may be different than us. That's my challenge. You should be careful because I'm seeing it in a lot of different places. You know, it's like, and you're, gonna, you're probably going to have the same thing. I preached at a church not too long ago, and they asked me to come talk about missions. And so I'm giving this intro about missions and my experience and how I got from here to there. And the feedback I got was, we wish you would have got to the scriptures a little bit faster. It's like I spent three minutes introducing myself, you know, and I used like 17 scriptures that day. But what did they focus on? The one thing that made them uncomfortable and didn't like, right? I'm hearing stuff like that all the time. So let's be careful, right? Let's be careful. We want to be advocates of the kingdom of God. The devil doesn't need any more advocates. So I'm just playing devil's advocate. Why do you got to use this word instead of that word? I don't think that's what God is wanting from us to just look left and right and go, that's dumb. That makes me uncomfortable. I would have said it different. Great. But how are you saying it? And to whom? And what are we doing with the gift that God has entrusted to us that we get to fan into flame? And the invitation is, let's lean in. Let's lean into this reality that God created you for purpose, with purpose, with gifts, on purpose, for specific actions in this world that we live in. All right. Are we still friends? Good. So let me just, can, can you imagine, like, the promises that we have in God are in, in and Chris prayed it like this, this P, like you're invited into joy even if things aren't good in your life. We're invited into peace, especially when things are hard. When God sent messengers and angels to speak to his people, they usually led with this peace. Why? Because he was about to rock their world. Chill out. Peace be with you. I mean, like, if an angel in all of the glory that shows up and, like, hey, ah, peace, like, you would freak out, too. Here's the other thing. Everything the angels delivered was, like, mind-blowing. Um, Mary, let's just say, Gabriel coming to Mary, peace be with you. God has chosen to entrust you with his son in your womb. That makes me uncomfortable. I mean, how many of us would be, that would be our response if we're being honest? Uh, no, not for me. Thank you. Find somebody else. But what did she say? There's a whole chapter in the Bible that's just her, the Magnificat, which is her humble response to this message. 
humbly accepting the deposit that God has placed. We have the humility enough to be like, whoa, okay, peace be with you. This is going to be harder than you thought. It's going to take more work than you thought. It's going to be more challenging than you thought, and it's going to be incredible. Don't peace out before it even starts, right? All right. And I'm pretty sure the kids go to Dutch Bros and like more than Boba. But anyway, that may just be a thing. So, sign gifts. Now, now I'm ready to preach. Is that all right? <laughs> How are we doing on time? We're doing okay. So, let me introduce you to this next kind of subset of gifts that we're going to talk about. That's referred to as the sign gifts or the miracle gifts. And we're just going to, I'm going to these four words are going to be up there. They're mostly talked about as the gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, and tongues. And so what I want us to just understand about these more than any other gift, like I don't think anybody's really been ever made uncomfortable by administration. I don't think anybody's ever been made uncomfortable by helps. I don't think anybody's ever argued with evangelism or apostleship, right? But with these ones, like if there's going to be a place that we have uncomfort, discomfort, miscomfort, it's going to be around experiences that we've had with the sign gifts, right? So I'm the guest preacher, so give me all the hard stuff. I'm just going to stir up a bunch of trouble, and then I'm going to go home, and you guys can sort it out with the elders, right? Your neighborhood group's going to be on fire this week, all right? I'm just going to give you some fuel for that. So these gifts make a lot of people uncomfortable. So when it comes to these gifts, even theologians disagree on the appropriate expressions and practices of these gifts today, today. So I just want to give us kind of a, a brief overview of some different ways that people think about these gifts. There's two general categories, even though like it looks like there's five distinct categories of this. So if you want more, there's more out there, but let me just kind of simple it up to, to two. So the first view that, that people have about this is called cessationism. And cessationism is the view that these sign gifts have ceased. That's why they call it cessationism. They believe that the end of the apostolic age, which is essentially the end of the New Testament, the stories that we have about the apostles of Jesus, when that age ended, so did the sign gifts and miracles that they experienced in that time that they left. Now, while they would say those gifts are not necessary anymore because we have everything we need in the truth of the canon of scripture and there's no longer any need for these supporting uh, gifts to validate what we already have validated. Now they will also say, we don't believe the gifts are alive and well in this way today, but then they have a disclaimer that basically says, except for when they are. Okay, now I'm really confused about what that even means. And so that what they say, though, is that God is God, God is in the heavens because they believe the scriptures fully and completely. This is a, the people who are cessationists will spend eternity in heaven, just like the people who agree differently. So this isn't a, uh, we're not on the same team thing. This is just how we interpret the idea of practice with these things. And so they would say from time to time, God can do whatever he wants, and there might be a demonstration, but he doesn't need people to participate in that, and he just does it. And if you, you guys are you know, going to see Beak in January. It's like Beak has a story that didn't have an intermediary. God just directly showed up, called Beak from his deathbed, 
into a miraculous conversion. And kind of like what we were talking about with Emily, it was like from that day forward, it was different. And he was, there was nobody else. There was no carrier of sign gifting speaking. So God's not in need of that. He's just fine. But, I, but the, the idea is that he's not working through his people in those specific ways anymore. Cessationism was kind of a fruit of the Reformation. So if you guys remember, Martin Luther uh, was looking at the Catholic Church going, you guys are making a whole lot of money on people's salvations and the idea of this indulgence making people feel better about their reality. And he wrote 95 statements that was like, and they're almost all about indulgences. It's like he was, there's 95 things he said about one thing. Like he went all the way into this argument, but one of the other arguments against the Catholic Church at that time is that they were sort of becoming brokers of the miraculous. And so the church was claiming mystery and miracle, and they were profiting from it, but all it did really was elevate the position of the pope and the bishops. And so in the same time, there was pushback against um, corruption and selfish gain and manipulation of people from the Catholic church was the same time that people were looking at these miracle and sign gifts and just thinking like, that's too much too. Like that, that's not, that doesn't represent what we read about in the scriptures, and so a lot of the reformers took the position, most of the people that have provided the framework for much of the theology that this church is built on, I think it's honest to say that they would be of those who have a view of this cessationist, so there's room for us to wrestle in this, and so the way I think about it, has anybody had the pleasure of teaching their, or the PTSD of teaching their children to drive, like do it yourself, driver's ed, God bless you. If you are not there yet. I have a word from the Lord. Pay the indulgence of have somebody else teaching them how to drive. Because your relationship will never, ever be the same. And I don't know if you know this about Gen Z or not, but when they show up to do something, they firmly believe that they're the best in the world at it. Like, I'm sorry, guys, you know that you do. Like, it's like you, they show up at their first job. It's like, where's my corner office? I am about to run this thing. And so you throw them the, the keys to the car after you do all that. If you can get an appointment at the DPS, just a whole other. And it's like, and then they're driving. And like, I grew up in a time where my grandparents had, I drove tractors and snowmobiles and motorcycles and boats. And uh, I had the, the pleasure of learning that kind of experience from the time I was about 12, I think, when I started getting behind the wheels of things. By the time I got my driver's license, I knew what all the stuff did. And it wasn't like this new experience for me. My kids did not have the same opportunities. And so when we started driving, it's like, hey, those broom, 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 that's not supposed to be part of the experience. That means that like, that's not like to go with the music. That's wrong. Like, you're about to drive off the road. And so the first time in the early days, you go to the road, and then it's like you need to go a little bit to the left. Boom! And all of a sudden, you're like bouncing off the curb on the other side. And I just think, that's kind of how I feel like it's gone with spiritual gifts. It's like, hey, there's some bumping that's like, I don't think that's it. But then instead of just like centering up in a way that's consistent with the scriptures, we've overcorrected so far over here that we, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so what I want to challenge us to is um, being open to a correct usage of the miraculous and sign gifts rather than just saying, hey, these have no place in the church or Christianity today. And so um, I just want us to have that kind of perspective as we go through. We should be aware of abuses. 
we should be looking at things and going, okay, I'm uncomfortable, but that doesn't violate the scriptures. Or that's in line, or that's beyond what it's written, right? We get to measure that against that. So that's the cessationist view, right? They throw it all out. We don't think the gifts are necessary or needed or active. Um, and many denominations ascribe to that position. The alternative is what we call continuationism, which is the belief that all of the spiritual gifts, including healings and tongues and all of the sign gifts and miracles, are still in operation today, just as they were in the days of the early church. A continuous believes that the spiritual gifts have continued unabated since the day of Pentecost and that today's church has access to all of the spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible, all right? So that's the other position. There's a, a well-known pastor named Sam Storms who uh, is a theologian also, and he spent a lot of his life as a cessationist, had a Holy Spirit experience, changed sides. He's like, man, I was so wrong about that. And then he's led his churches and his ministry in the, aware, in, in the practice of a, continu, a continuationist. And then uh, another guy in that camp is Jack Deere, who also changed his position. And I loved his quote. And he said, if you were to lock a brand new Christian in a room with a Bible and tell him to study what the scriptures have to say about healing and miracles, he would never come out of the room a cessationist. That is the everyday experience throughout the scriptures, evidence of the supernatural in the people of God, right? So there's uh, very recently Max Lucado, a, ma a lifelong cessationist, was minding his own business, praying in his office, started speaking in tongues. That'll change your position. Wasn't trying to speak in tongues, just praying to the Lord. And he's got a gift that he spent his whole life going, I don't like that, I'm uncomfortable with that. And God goes, oh, here you go. And now he's wrestling with it. He's figuring it out. So my challenge is still like, in our caution, let's just not be extreme towards the direction of just what makes us more comfortable. Because God's not trying to make us more comfortable. He's trying to make us more holy. He's trying to allow us to see more of him. He doesn't, we're, we're made in his image and his likeness and the gifts are his mind and his heart and his skills and his practice. And when we participate in them, we are working with him. So we need to be cautious. And I want to give us one, uh, just one quick passage here to, to look at. And it's John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And it's when, when Jesus is meeting the woman at the well. And I think it's just a profound truth for our time. And, and he says this, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So here's what my experience is based on, I do a lot of leadership coaching and executive coaching and organizational coaching, working with differences and diversities and people's behaviors and opinions and things like that. Here, here's what I think my experience says is that we have a pull towards one or the other when it comes to spirit or truth. There are people who are much more comfortable in the mystical elements of our faith and the spiritual realities and all the feels of what we're experiencing. And truth is not as easy of a choice because it's like all those rules and doctrines and learning and, and books. Just I like the way it feels, right? And then you have truth people going, well, this is what it says and we can't rely on our emotions and we shouldn't be dependent upon that. And I'm just saying like, 
The word, friends, is and. Spirit and truth. Truth clarifies spirit. Spirit clarifies truth. One without the other is not the kind of worshiper that the Father is seeking, according to Jesus. True worshipers are hanging out in this intersection. What does that mean? We're at an intersection where half of it probably naturally makes us uncomfortable. And somehow, that's the tension that God is inviting worshipers into. To go beyond what we would be on our own. To supplement are without God, with the deposit that God has given us, and helping us to be a more complete person of purpose. So we're, we're diving into that, that intersection of spirit and in truth. It's an and. It's not a but. It's not an or. It's like, hey, I love truth. I love spirit. If you read the Psalms, it's like a whole 150 chapters of feelings. And then like this much truth, because he throws up all of his feelings. Where are you, God? Don't you even love me? Don't you even care about me? I thought I was your faith. I thought you love me. You made me king. Where are you? Are you on vacation? Like, I, don't, I can't even, oh, but I do believe that you're the God of all creation. And like, he finally gets to some truth to balance out his spirit. But there's something beautiful in the authenticity of him going, God, this feels bad. It doesn't feel right. And God's not like, Never once did he rebuke David for coming with an honest emotional approach. We're emotional beings. It's okay. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay for me to be crying like a baby at the first half of our worship time together. And maybe I'm just justifying my own propensity for spirit, and I need a little more truth to come. Anyway, sorry. Sign gifts. I lost you for a minute. I'm going to try to get you back. 1 Corinthians 12, just for context, this is where we see specific expressions of this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, not to us as we will, but as he wills. So just for clarity, I also want us to see the scripture doesn't really separate these gifts um, in this passage into categories. There's just one big list of all of these things. They're not even in the order that we've broken them down to in this series. So there's nothing magical about this set of gifts. It's, they're just as important um, as the other ones and vice versa. And so we're not glorifying these gifts, but there is some distinct activity around these that I think it's important for us to, to talk about. And so um, I told you about Sam Storms a second ago, and he said, I want to give you an, a, one more definition of spiritual gifts, and he said, it's a God-given and therefore gracious capacity to serve the body of Christ. It is a divinely empowered or spiritually energized potential to minister to the body of Christ by communicating, I added this, and demonstrating the knowledge, power, and love of Jesus. 
So these gifts are a demonstration. They're a communication. They're how people can see God in ways that make sense to them. So they're not more and less spiritual than any other spiritual gifts. They're not reserved for a certain kind of person or position in the church. But there is a distinction that, that these carry, and it seems to be these three words. They have a tendency to be more supernatural, more spontaneous, and more revelatory. More supernatural, more spontaneous, and more revelatory. They're all supernatural. All the spiritual gifts exist outside of us, given by God for us to do things that we wouldn't do on our own. But when we start talking about healing and miracles and prophecy and tongues, there's a, a, a heightened experience of that supernatural thing. Because I think more than the other gifts, it doesn't really come that natural to the people that have them. And so what it takes is an exercise of those gifts, a faith in God to be able to walk in these gifts that the other gifts don't seem to have as much of a requirement of. We can argue with that later if you want, but that is my experience is that, and they're more spontaneous. It's like administration is, you know, you're all planning. Like if you're going to, if you're an evangelist, you wake up, you share the gospel, you know exactly what you're going to do. You're a part, you're planning churches and you're doing that. But when it comes to these things, it's like um, when I've had opportunities to, to experience these things the most, it was at a time where I wasn't planning to go and experience those things. It took an awareness. It took a sensitivity to be open to what God was doing before I got there. And then I show up and I'm invited to participate or I'm invited or my reaction can be like, that makes me uncomfortable. And so that's why I'm saying a little more supernatural, a little more spontaneous, a little more revelatory. And it's like, this one requires you heard pretty clearly from what God has entrusted to you. You're not just guessing, right? So what I want to do now is just let's talk about these gifts in kind of a practical way. And rather than give you like cerebral definitions of these, I just want to talk about them from a couple of different experiences and see where that takes us, all right? Is that all right? We okay? I know it's hot in here. I'm so sorry. It's just sat by the fan, but here we go. Healing. Over and over in the New Testament, healings are just like normal activity. Jesus healed people. Jesus, Jesus sent his followers to heal people. There's wider groups of people who were, were healing. And I, I heard a brilliant um, medical person, a biologist, say, you know, our bodies, God created our bodies to heal. Like, your body is healing right now. If you get a scratch, your body heals. It's created to do that. So why do people get so crazy about healing? All we're doing when we're talking about healing is we're asking God to accelerate that which he has already put into motion. There's nothing abnormal about healing. What's abnormal is that healing doesn't happen. So when healing doesn't happen, it's because something is in the way of the healing that God has put into his creation. If there's anybody in the medical field, you know that our bodies are constantly regenerating cells. They're constantly at work healing and fighting off infection and disease, and we only get kind of an inkling to it if we get a fever because there's a really focused uh, enemy of healing present in our body or a disease that, that comes into play. But when we talk about healing, we're just talking about what God created his creation to do, replenish, restore, and heal. That's as normal as it comes. So when we think about it, it's just like, hey, we're joining God. We're asking God for more of what he's already at work 
doing, the opportunity is being open to it when you have the chance to do it. And I'll tell you in my own life, when I was nine years old, I was walking across the street and like my knee just like, it was like this. My knee swelled to the size of my head. It locked up. I took a step. It locked. I fell over in the middle of the road. My dad picked me up and carried me to the thing. We went to the ER. They're like, maybe you sprained it. Went to the doctor. He's like, I don't know what this is, but something's jacked up. And then you need to go to the hospital. So we go um, to the hospital. And they do all these tests. And after a couple of days um, of being in the hospital, have you ever had a bone marrow test? Like they stick a needle like that big, like into the bone in your knee. That was fun for a nine-year-old. And so we, they're trying to figure it out. I got the diagnosis that um, they called my parents and they talked to them first. And they came in and told me, you have a disease called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. It is a lifetime degenerative disease that you will suffer from for the rest of your life. That's what my, my diagnosis was. And so um, left the hospital with the, the game plan for um, therapy. I was on crutches, could, you know, couldn't walk without them. Uh, my parents were going to support groups, and we were doing all of these things. And we were just getting ready for life where eventually my, I was going to go from crutches to a wheelchair, and that was going to be the rest of my life. At the time... We were going to Charismatic Church, who every Friday night had a service of prayer and healing, right? I was like, can we go to that? Like, that sounds, that sounds good. And much like happened here, they brought me to the front, and people just came around me and laid, laid hands on me. And they began to whisper just what God's capable of in my, in my ear and praying for my healing. And, and my knee got, like, super hot. Like, like, oh my gosh, it's so weird. Just a kid, I didn't know what was going on. But I believed that that was a time that God was doing something. That, and I, I was so sad because uh, when they were done, I wasn't healed. But I, started, I was going to all of these doctors and all of this rehab. And they're like, we're not really sure what's happening, but it seems like you're not getting worse. And then it's like, what if you tried one crutch after that? And then... Within three months, I was a fire drill monitor for the third grade hallway whose job was run into every classroom after everybody else has left the building and make sure that nobody was still there, which is like, I'm not sure who thought it would be a good idea to send third graders back into the building, like, if it was on fire, but I actually didn't think about that until I was prepping this. But this is the point. I could run up and down the hallways. I went from... You're going to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair to running up and down the hallways within three or four months. I call that healing. There's no, you can clap if you want, like changed my life. I played baseball in high school. Sports were a big part of my life. Like it was never a problem. I was healed. And that's my story that nobody can take from me. What would have happened without that, that prayer and healing service? I don't know. But I'll count that one up to the sign gifts. Changed the trajectory of my life. I could tell you about the time Holly woke up with diplopia and she couldn't see. She had true double vision and we went to our friend that was an eye doctor. And he goes, I don't want to freak you out, but you're going to have to go for an emergency MRI. The only things that cause what you have are brain tumor, stroke, MS. It's like, oh, those sound amazing. It's on our anniversary. And instead of going out, we went to get an emergency CAT scan. And they're like, okay, good news and bad news. We don't see any of those things. Thank you, Jesus. Bad news, you've got a palsy of your sixth cranial nerve in your brain, and the, it's the, the nerve that keeps your eye aligned, and hers didn't, and her eye went like this. 
And it's like, what caused it? They're like, we don't know. What's going to fix it? We don't know if it will. It's like she had to wear special glasses. And, and we had people, and we prayed, and there was this moment, and it was like, wow, you felt the power of God and the presence of God. And there was something in that room where you just thought, she's going to wake up and, and be able to like, open her eyes and be able to see. Not the case. It's not how God does healing in our, our life, I guess. Over the course of six months later, just as she woke up one day and said, I can't see, six months later she woke up one day and she goes, I can see. We prayed every day. Heal this. There's no explanation. There's no known cure. Would you heal it, please, God? We walk in the, the reality of knowing that God healed. I could tell a bunch of those stories, and so I don't want to give you some, like, weird definition of healing. I'm just telling you, like, that was a supernatural experience that we've had, us personally, in our lives to change the trajectory of our lives. Can we talk about miracles? Miracles, I love this definition of miracles, just a less common kind of activity in which, which arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Isn't that good? It's just a little less common than common. It's not crazy. It's just less common. We're just trusting God to stand in a gap. When we were in um, Ukraine for adoption, like, it all went wrong. It was all terrible. It, we, got, uh, we got opposed by a corrupt orphanage director who sabotaged our entire process. It was supposed to cost $20,000, which we had saved. And then we had to come home and basically start over and needed that much money again, which we didn't have. We literally sold everything that we could sell. We were raising money, and we, God performed, like, what God did to get us through that process, like we had somebody intervene in the Ukrainian parliament on our behalf. And if you know anything about the Ukrainian parliament, that's crazy. Because those are the ones that like throw stuff at people, jump across tables. God put somebody there to advocate for us to make a phone call that made that, which was amazing. Then we got to the end. We didn't have enough money to buy the plane tickets to come home. We had spent everything. We prayed. Okay, God, we, here we are. Like, our, our heart would not be to stay in Ukraine forever. Like, we want to go home. And we got, it, within minutes, we got an email from a friend of ours who was managing, like, the fundraising part of it. And she was like, you just got a donation for $700, which we needed $693 to buy the plane ticket. And it was from a person that rebuked me for the whole process, said we hadn't heard from God, attacked me personally, some other terrible things. God used that person <laughs> to write a check to bring us home. That's a little less common, right? That's a miracle. When you step out into a place where you're not comfortable and you need God to come through, he'll come through in ways you didn't expect and you couldn't plan. Prophecy it's just, and I will say that it does seem like when Paul at the end of all this says, aspire after the greater gifts, it seems like he goes back to prophecy. He goes, there's something about prophecy that allows people to experience God in a way that they wouldn't otherwise experience him. And this is what I think prophecy does, is it's like Jesus told us to pray, you know, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Prophecy just connects those two things. Prophecy is just like, you stand in the gap between heaven and earth. You see something from heaven and you speak it into earth. And it's like, this is 66 books of prophecy. Anything in here could be a prophetic word at the right time, at the right person who had forgotten that word. So it's not like some crazy thing. Prophetic words are often just things that God has clearly already said. 
that you forgot or that somebody hasn't heard. And it can't go greater than that because I have a lot of good, I have several good friends that are incredibly gifted in the prophetic. And it's like, how'd you know that? You got one of those little microphone things like Benny Hinn? Like, is that somebody telling you that? No. It's like, how do you, and I was scared to death. The first time I thought, I knew I was going to get prophesied over. The guy who started our mission organization, he's, now he's 80 years old. His name's Norman. And he's known all over England for just the, the way that he operates in this gift of prophecy. Here's the other thing about prophecy I want to say first. Having the gift of prophecy does not make you a prophet. And if you're ever around somebody who calls themselves a prophet, run away. That's not it. It's not about an office. It's not about power. It's not about position. It's about a demonstration of the supernatural, spontaneous, revelatory desire of God to speak to his people. And some of you have, have that gift, right? And a lot of times, you, have you ever been in a church service where it's like you listen to a pastor and you're like, he's talking to me, like it's me. How did you know? He didn't know. He's just got a gift of prophecy and connected something from heaven to earth for you at a very important time. That's the gift of prophecy in action, Right? Sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's like, hey, oh gosh, there's this burning in my, what? That I'm supposed to say, like, you just got this phrase and you don't know what it, what it means. And then you see this person and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to give it to that person. Or like, hey, this may sound crazy, but I feel like God might be saying to you something. And you know what? God talks like that. God uses the gift of prophecy. Like, that's alive and well. Are there abuses of it? Yes, 100%. Are there beautiful displays of it? Yes. I wish that we would just be open to that idea that we want all the revelation that God has. It's going to be consistent with the scriptures. It's going to bless people. It's going to be important. But one of my favorite uh, prophetic stories has to do with your pastor. And so before we met, like we knew of each other, but we hadn't met yet. And there was a season where um, God had been speaking to Lance and Melissa about this idea of church. And they were talking to people and having meetings. And it was like, it was like going good. And then it was going less good. And um, then there was a season where somebody had asked um, my mentor. They, were, they had been at a place where he was giving prophetic words, and so they invited him to come and pray over a group of people. Um, and Lance was supposed to be in that room, and then some things happened, and he wasn't in that room. And so then this prayer thing happened, and these prophetic words started going all over this team. And I feel like God wants to say this, and it was like everybody's crying, and like, how did you know? And and then my friend Norman was at the front of the room and like wrapping up, kind of giving like, hey, this is what happens. And this is what a, what a, what a true person, a person with a true prophetic gift would be like, hey, I'm imperfect. And so my words to you could be imperfect too because I'm not God. And so make sure you test that against the scriptures. Make sure you process it with your leaders and just see what God might be up to with all of this crazy stuff that just happened right? That's humility. That's how I've experienced it to work really well. So he's kind of explaining some of those things, and he's talking, and then at the last minute, Lance walks into the room, like walks in, and Norman's standing right here. It's like, <laughs> you almost ran right into him, and he's standing there at the front, and he didn't know Lance. He didn't know one thing about Lance, and I knew that, and I watched Norman look at Lance, and he just walks in, and he goes, oh, right. Um, he's British, so it sounds way cooler when he says it, but if you get a chance to be prophesied by an English guy, do it. It's amazing. So 
And I don't remember if he put his hand on your chest or just kind of on your arm, but it was one of those things. And he goes, it's time to get out of the boat, isn't it? Hello, Grove. That's, you were born very quickly after that. What was crazy about that? Nothing. God loves Lance. God called Lance and Melissa to plant this church. There was confusion surrounding it, the timing, the, you know, all these details that have to happen. And through one prophetic word, it all was clear, time to go. There was other things that happened that were supporting that. It wasn't a standalone event. But in the context of something like that, it, gave, it was an affirmation. And that's what prophecy does. And I could tell you a hundred of those, and, but I won't. Last one is, is tongues. And it's like people, this is, I don't know, more than anything, people freak out about tongues. But tongues is just the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one you might have learned. People pray in tongues. And I'll just tell you this from my own experience. The most powerful times of prayer I've ever been a part of are that tongues were spoken. And my experience in the nations is... When you don't have a doctor, you're much more open to the sign gift of healing. When you have nothing else, miracles are necessary. When you have people that don't have a Bible or the scriptures translated in their language, prophecy becomes a little more important. And tongues, it's like when you're put in the position that this guy's dying and you're being asked to pray for their resurrection, my preference is that we get some tongue talkers in that situation because I need something more than what I can bring to this party. I want the power of heaven to come and do what only heaven can do, and I want to get out of the way. I've seen tongues work in that way. Full confession, I don't speak in tongues. I wish I did. I've asked God to. I don't. Right? I've also, Holly and I both, have also been in gatherings that were like, we're going to pray in tongues for an hour. And we walked in there and was like, I don't know what this is, but God ain't here. I just, my discernment gives pretty high. And it was like, this is just a bunch of, so I've seen abuses and I've seen powerful demonstrations. There's no way to just go, it's all this or all this. It's just like this gift is still, still useful. So, um, man, I wish we could go deeper into that, but I don't have time. So, like I said, I'm just stirring it all up. You guys can sort it out in your neighborhood groups and draw your own conclusions. Right, Lance? Um, this is the last thing I want to tell you. This will give you a quick hits. Sign gifts like in the wild, in practice, here's how we measure them. Number one. Sign gifts glorify God and not the gifted. If the sign gifts are ever, if, if somebody's name is listed as prophet on a church brochure, that's not it, because that's not humility. That's not how, it's not, it's not a dog and pony show. It's not, it's not a performance. It's not a show, right? Second thing is the sign gifts glorify God and not the gift. God is the giver of the gifts. Every experience of the gifts brings glory and attention to God. The sign gifts only edify, exhort, and comfort. In other words, when there's a true expression or experience of the miraculous or sign gifts, you will feel so amazing. You may be challenged, but you will know that God spoke to you. It's for your edification, for your building up, for your blessing, for your encouragement, 
or for your comfort. If, you're, if it's like a strong, harsh rebuke, that's not it. Not that correction isn't needed sometimes, but correction and gentleness is the calling, right? The sign gifts always submit to the truth of God's word. So if anybody has a word that's other than what scripture has saying, you have full authority to reject that word. Don't take it. That's why we need to know what the scripture says because there's a lot of stuff getting passed around that's really close to the gospel, but not the gospel. A psychic medium is not the gift of prophecy. That's beyond what is written. But it's like sometimes when you hear people talk, I talk about prophecy, it's like, oh, I go to this person and she told me this. It's like, mm, not it. Just be careful. Sign gifts don't have to be exercised perfectly. Right? Why? Because you and I are not perfect. You and I are human and we get stuff wrong. And so sometimes we don't have to, we don't say the right thing. You might get a word, feel God saying you need to speak to somebody, you go to somebody and you totally blow it. It's okay. God's bigger than that. God can call Beak off his porch with nobody around. God can fix that. So don't be afraid to make a mistake. You will make mistakes when you start practicing your gifts, but keep going because just like any other discipline, you grow and you get better. And you're, you, you get, because if you're, not, if you're not arrogant and you're humble, say, hey, I may have gotten that wrong, but there's something here that I feel like God's trying to say. That would be perfect. And we wrap it up. The sign gifts speak a better word to a broken world than arguments alone. And I just want to, I want us to be open to something. Guys, we live in a world where there's no truth. My truth, your truth means there's no truth. The lost people in the world, truth has become subjective. Portland and Seattle, defaced, nearly destroyed, because truth has been removed. That was the, the opinion of a friend of mine that's a city missionary there. Truth started being subjective. Now everything's tagged. The homeless population's out of control. It's a dangerous, dangerous place. What happened? Truth left. Well, that's your truth. That may work for you. That's, well, so my truth is much different. It's not about your truth or my truth. It's about God's truth. But in our current climate, the argument is just an argument. But you know what people can't argue against? An experience of the miraculous. And the sign gifts were to help bring understanding to the truth gifts. And where they don't have Bibles, which 1.5 billion people in our world don't have a written scripture, they need the sign gifts to help them be open and see something that they can't, literally can't read, can't see, can't understand. And I just want us to be open that I think some of these expressions are incredibly important in 2023 and going forward. The only denominations that aren't declining are charismatic denominations. I'm not saying they're all doing awesome things. But I am saying there's something happening in the spiritual openness that is attractive to people in the day and time we live in. You know what they don't want? Just another opinion of condemnation. They need to see something that invites them in to allow them to be open to the truth. We need both, spirit and truth, right? We're coming out of 30 years of apologetics and arguments which have been incredibly helpful. Now those same arguments aren't being listened to. We need to be open to what God's already put into place. The sign gifts are a beautiful demonstration of the intersection of spirit and truth, and sign gifts are vital to the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, all of the opinions expressed by Jason Bollinger in this sermon may or may not reflect the leadership 
of the Grove Church. So forgive me if I pushed too hard, went too far, but I think it's good for us to learn from each other and to understand just some experiences that may be a little bit beyond comfort, but could still be biblically viable, especially as we're going, like, God, what do you want me to do with these gifts? Did you take that, that gift test and prophecy showed up? All right, let's talk. That's going to take some exercising. It's going to take some, some practice. But I believe that God's invested and entrusted you with something special that he wants to fan into flame. And the goal would be whatever God's placed into you, let the church help you fan it into flame for the glory of God and the blessing of all of God's people. Right? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the, the patience in the room to let me talk for a long time on this stuff. God, would you just, at this moment, be drawing us towards the reality that you want us to have? Would you fan into flame? Like Paul encouraged of Timothy, would you let the Timothys in the room who have never been open to the utilization of their gifting, would you give them the courage to go to the elders or the neighborhood group leaders or the growth group leaders or just their friends and say, would you pray for me that the deposit that you've given me would fan into something that brings so much glory to God? So God, I just pray your blessings and your protection on this church. Thank you for the joy and the life and the activity and your work being done here. Multiply it, God. As they are faithful to you, they're faithful with little and then a little more and then a little more. Would you just give even more in so many different ways? Protect the unity of this church. Bless the finances of this church. Protect the leaders of this church and their families. And would this be a place where your gifts are experienced and the kingdom is built because of the faithfulness of this people. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.